Time to go to the hotline and talk to Mark Long of the Associated Press, who's been writing the last few days on a number of subjects, but the main one being the new coach of the Florida Gators, Dan Mullen. Got a chance to sit next to you on Monday, Mark, when this thing unfolds. I wanted to get your take because I think this is an interesting story that got even more interesting on Monday. And I want to talk to you about your feelings of what it was like in that room uh, when Mullen came forth, his family was sitting there, and it seemed like it unfolded in a kind of a special way, didn't it? Yeah, yeah no doubt. I mean, it was it was almost like Florida bringing it, its you know one of its sons home, you know one of its one of its people home. And you don't necessarily nobody ever thought about Dan Mullen that way. You know, this wasn't Steve Spurrier coming back in 1990 or Tim Tebow coming back for you know. To, to to lead the team in some way on the sideline or whatever. This was you didn't think that going in, but it sure felt like that. The second Dan Mullen walked into that room and walked up to that podium, his wife and kids mm-hmm. in tow, you know, just just having a grand old time. And then, you know, Dan said all the right things. I mean, you know, you talk about winning the press conference and that's not important. Winning games is what's important. But uh man, he sure got off on the right foot and he needed to because there was a lot of a lot of people, a lot of the portion of this fan base, buddy, as you know, who wanted Chip Kelly, who wanted Scott Frost, uh, and they weren't necessarily. They were kind of like, huh. It was a little bit of a letdown when you know they heard Dan Mullen was going to be the guy, and then I think for them, seeing him get up there and seeing the way he handled himself was refreshing because it had been nine years since Dan Mullen had been here, and people had heard stories about you know, him being a little flaky or a little aloof or whatever. And I think he, he squashed all those immediately. Uh, he talked about the, the need to win championships, not just division titles, championships. He talked about, you know, his love for Steve Spurrier and how he, he you know, started following Steve Spurrier in, in 1994 and wore a visor as, as, a, as an ode to Steve Spurrier and throws it as an ode to Steve Spurrier. He talked about Tim Tebow and Percy Harvin and recruiting guys of that talent. He talked about improving the quarterback play and, and mentioned his long lineage of, of, of solid guys at that position, whether it was Alex Smith at Utah, Chris Leak and Tim Tebow at Florida, Dak Prescott, Nick Fitzgerald at Mississippi State. He touched on everything he needed to, and I just thought it was a, a home run press conference. And I've said from day one I thought it was the best the best hire for them. I, I just thought it was, I mean, I get people think it's safe, not sexy. I get that. I understand that. But to me, it was the most sure thing that they could have done. Well, I wanted to get your voice because I feel like you as a journal, as an objective person and a journalist who covers this story, uh, sort of a neutral position uh, that, and you've had, you had your run-ins with uh, Jim McElwain over some issues, which we'll talk about in a minute. And I wanted to make sure to check myself because I went into it like this. I, I wasn't crazy about Kelly at first, uh, but then people got excited about it. And people got you know started rallying around Kelly. And people I talked to in football say, yeah, he's great. Well, I'm like, well maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's the guy. I kind of wondered why he didn't grab Mullen to begin with. But I said, well, there must be issues between them or something we don't know about. So now as we went through the whole Kelly thing, and we can talk about whether he accepted it or not in the language, the semantics, however you want to do it, he was coming. He was coming to this job, and he changed his mind. Whatever, that's fine. 
But the bottom line is, is that now suddenly we went to the next person and Scott Frost apparently wasn't there. And then Dan Mullen, who I, like you, actually had high on my list to begin with. I know everybody says that now. It's fashionable. But the, but the bottom line is that I wasn't crazy about it at first, but I ran into a bunch of people in the last few days, the quarterback clubs, what have you, who said the same thing. You know, I really hadn't thought much about Mullen. He wasn't on my radar screen. But when he got up there and he did his press conference and he got done, my thinking was, why didn't we get this guy to start with? And suddenly the idea of Dan Mullen being here, being family, as Steve Spurrier said, he's got a history here. You know, suddenly it fit perfectly. The family's sitting there right next to us. Uh, obviously, uh, that's a very good story. Uh, and it just looked like they belong there. So I was, I'm going to check with Mark because Mark will give me the straight scoop. And some of the Gator fans get kind of emotional. So you, you actually nailed it. I think you're exactly right. Dan Mullen is the right guy at the right time for this job. No question. And here's the thing, and you just touched on it. He wants to be here. There was no question about whether or not Dan Mullen wanted to be at Florida. Scott, Fra- or Scott Strickland waited less than 24 hours for Dan Mullen to, say, to, 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 to make it a done deal. He talked to him on Friday night. Oh, 24 hours later, less than 24 hours later, it was a done deal. Dan Mullen to Florida. And it, they didn't get into sticking points about, you know, contracts and buyouts and, you know, staff, all that stuff. Scott Strickland knew Dan Mullen could do the job. Dan Mullen wanted to do the job. And it was an instant, instant, you know, it was an instant kind of a pairing between the two. And I, I do believe that Scott Strickland saw Dan Mullen as, as an obvious choice from day one. I think, I do believe that also that Scott Strickland did not want to hurt his alma mater. And he talked about it on Monday. He said, listen, I could have done this, you know, two weeks ago. And I, Personally, I saw it. I, I, I thought, hey, Dan Mullen's the right guy. But he said, and he said it. He's like, I have I have a price to pay for for hiring Dan Mullen because of all of his friends at Mississippi State, all of his family. He's born and raised in Jackson, Mississippi, and he said, I'm paying the price for hiring Dan Mullen, and I will continue to pay the price for Dan Mullen. And if the next guy who replaces Dan Mullen doesn't continue winning there, I'm going to have a steeper price to pay. Uh, so I do believe that that was part of his thinking here is I'm going to go out and try to find somebody who's not Dan Mullen so that I'm not hurting my alma mater. And it just, you know, it got to the point where Chip Kelly, for whatever reason, changed his mind, chose UCLA, Scott Frost didn't want to come. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, Scott Strickland's sitting there and going, okay, listen, I tried it the other way. It wasn't working. I got to go get the guy I know it's going to work with, the guy who wants to be here. And, uh, and you know, as, as we saw, it unfolded pretty quickly. And, you know, and listen, he's a slam dunk hire, a uh, slam dunk hire because, you know, you look at what he did at Mississippi State, eight straight bowl games. Florida can't even say it's been to eight straight bowl games. And Mississippi State went to eight straight bowl games in Starkville, Mississippi. And you put that in historical perspective, the eight years before Dan Mullen had been there, they went to one bowl game. So he's there nine years. They go to eight straight, uh, and then uh, and before that, it was you know it was hit or miss. So mostly miss. So uh, I you know I think I love the hire. Uh, I get that you know fans had their reservations, but I think uh, certainly Dan Mullen's winning them over right now. All right, Mark Long, the AP. Mark, what do you think it is that some fans are unhappy? They thought maybe it was not glamorous enough. It what he's not a rock star. He's not. Uh, he's not. Uh, he hadn't been coaching in the NFL. What is it about people that don't don't like the choice? 
Yeah, it's Mississippi State. That's what they don't see. They, 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 they give Urban all the credit, and probably rightfully so. They give Urban all the credit for what happened here in 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009 even. Uh, Urban gets all the credit for that, and Dan Mullen doesn't get enough. And the reality is Dan Mullen in 2005 found a way to make Chris Leak a square peg in a round hole, made, found, found a way to win games with Chris Leak in 2005 and again in 2006. Uh, Dan Mullen was instrumental in getting Tebow, you know, to rock star status. Dan Mullen was, you know, he was instrumental in both of those title games, uh, you know, finding ways to get Percy Harvin the ball. Urban Meyer was a great coach. There's no, it still is, but, uh, there's no doubt that Urban Meyer also was a good delegate delegation. You know, he delegated a lot of things and the offense was Dan Mullen's to run. So you, you've got to look at that. What happened during that, those four years where Dan Mullen was here and say, listen, this guy deserves a lot of credit for how good Florida was on offense. And I don't, I don't, that's to me, that's the reason I think people look at him as, well, he was at Mississippi State. They haven't, they didn't win any national titles. They didn't win any SEC titles. They didn't play for the SEC title uh, under Dan Mullen. So that, that probably gets a little bit of a knock on him. But what they, people don't get is it was Mississippi State. And when you look at the history of that program, you know, Dan Mullins is, you know, arguably the best coach in program history. Uh, and so people, people, I think, just discount that and they give, you know, a lot of credit to Urban and Tebow for what went on here when really uh, Mullins was kind of an unsung hero. Yeah, and by the way, I had the good fortune to be able to hear a few uh, of those games called on headsets because I was working on the Urban Meyer book at that time and I had that access to listen to them calling plays. And, and make no mistake, Dan Mullen uh, would call the shots. Urban had to okay him. I've heard him argue with Urban, no, we need to go for it. Over, go to the top here. Take a shot here. And Urban would say, no, let's keep it on the ground. And he would stand up to Urban you know, and push him. And subsequently, the offense wasn't as good after he left, as you remember. Um, and, and, of course, uh, you know, that was good, but not as good as it had been. So I think maybe Urban gets too much credit and too much blame, by the way, too, at the same time. People still hate him for whatever reason. <laughs> uh, I don't get that. Well, they, all, they but... all, anybody who walks away, they, they, you know, they, they feel like oh. they're getting dumped. But uh, as pointing to the play call, I mean, listen, four, four of the most memorable plays in, in the post-Spurrier era have been – you know, designed by Dan Mullen, the rocker step, the jump pass, yep. the tight end screen, and the jet sweep. I mean, th- those four plays alone, so many unbelievable memories from those four plays, and all four designed by Dan Mullen. Good point. He's a smart guy. Uh, so, so he hadn't won a game yet, so let's don't canonize him just yet. Uh, let's look <laughs> at him and say what might be his flaws at this point. Well, we'll find out when he get on the field and get going. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, I'm having a hard time thinking of any, but if you other than the fact that he's not somebody else or he's not a glamorous guy, although he's kind of taken on a little different personality in the last couple of years, he's got a little more panache. He wears some of those uh, some of those shoes that are cool, and uh, he he sli- he smiles more. He's easier with people, and and, and the way he handled himself. Uh, at the lectern up there, kind of, you know, kind of, kind of relax, which is different, by the way. Actually, answering questions, which is new, as you know, uh, and actually be able to figure out what he was saying, and then just the unmitigated joy of being in that in that position. Because remember when he started out the first couple of things, and he stopped, and he, he sort of just sucked in the air of the moment and realized, like, hey, 
I'm here. <laughs> it was like a pause. Yeah, this is happening. Yeah, this, this is, is happening. really happening. Like an epiphany or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and you're right, and you touched on it. I mean, the, the, he's now than what he was, you know, uh, 9, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, you know, and, and most everybody who's been through that would say the same thing. You're You're much different in your early thirties, mid thirties, than you are in your mid forties. And that's what he, that's the difference. He was 32 years old when he walked in the door here the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's, you know, he's got two kids, you know, since then. And, and, you know, you're 45 years old. You've been there, done it. You've been number one in the country. You've, you've played Alabama toe to toe. You, you've beaten Auburn, you've beaten LSU. You know, those things change you. Those things mold you. And I think that's where he is now. He's a guy who's way more confident and and knows who he is and what he's doing as a head coach. And I think he walks in the door looking at this as this place is a sleeping giant. And I think we're going to get them back to where they were in 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009, right off the bat offensively, and then certainly recruiting trail and whatnot. And I think you're starting to see, I mean, he's building an unbelievable staff. I mean, you know, Havasi and Gonzalez have done it here before. Mm-hmm. He's already signed those two guys up. He makes Todd Grantham his defensive coordinator. The guy's got just worlds of experience at the NFL level and in college football. And Todd Grantham turned around that defense in one year last year where they had a little bit of a slide after uh, after the guy who left Mississippi State for Florida. I can't remember his name, who's now the Collins? Temple coach. Uh, no, not yeah, Collins. Jeff Collins. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Jeff Collins leaves and comes to Florida, and Mississippi takes it takes a step back defensively. Well, Grantham comes in there this year and really turned him around. He's the finalist for the Brawls Award, given out to the nation's top assistant. So, um, so yeah, I, I think Dan Mullen has made some great hires already at Florida, had some good ones at Mississippi State, some guys who have followed him along the lines, and I think that's just setting it up for for some success. One of the great things, I mean, you, you wrote about it in your book, is Urban Meyer having consistency with his staff. He relationships built relationships and having some consistency in your staff is is makes all the difference in the world and i think you're going to see that right now uh with dan mullen well uh, mark mark long associate press just a couple more mark and thank you for your time uh, one thing that if you have if you aren't there and you and, and you can see or feel this you won't know it and i, I want to talk about the almost toxic, and I don't want to. I don't want to dump on McElwain, Okay, I, I don't want to be one of those kind of guys. I mean, you know, it's too easy to dump on the last guy, and coaches have a habit of doing that. Every other coach before them, they screwed this place up. I'm going to fix, etc. McElwain certainly had his issues, and he certainly has to blame for things. But I don't want to be one of those guys who just like everything that went wrong was was was. Uh, it used to be Urban's fault, by the way. <laughs> it was always his fault, yeah. and then it's Muschamp's yeah. fault, and now you know whatever, and then. It's, but but I want to just there was I want to say toxic atmosphere, but and you sensed it a long time ago because you went straight at him a couple of years ago when you and and you went on a talk show and said he was like a used car salesman, and, and you said something we were all kind of feeling in a way but didn't know how to say it or maybe didn't have the guts to say it, and, and explain what happened then and explain the difference in what it was this so this sort of used car salesman McElwain. With the guy that now is a is a lecturer, and what you seen the difference in the two? Yeah, listen, I I I had him. I don't want to say I had him pegged. I don't want to pat myself on the back. But back you here. did. You did have him pegged. I mean, it was March or April of 2015, and I had we had dealt with him. Now, you know, he's hired in December of 14, and we had dealt with him a couple of times here and there. 
between then and, and April, and he hadn't even coached a game. And I did. I had. I that's what that was my thought on him. I thought this was a snake oil salesman, used car salesman. I just never got the vibe that that he was that he was being honest, that he was being forthright, that he even really had a clue what was going on when he was in front of the microphone, when he was in front of the media. I just always felt like, you know, he was an insecure man who was using these, the same repetitive jokes to kind of fake his way through it. And, you know, and I regret it. I really, honestly, I regretted it at the time, buddy, because I said, and I never backed away from it, but I did regret it because I felt like I wasn't giving the guy a chance to, to see what he would do on the football field. But again, the guy comes in from day one and says he can win football games with his dog playing quarterback. Well, you know, and then for three years he gave us, you know, dog crap offense. I mean, that's, that's the way I look at it now. It's like, should have known then he had a feeling that the guy was not genuine. And I think there was buyer's remorse from some Florida, uh, higher ups. You think they, like they got swindled a little bit when they started digging into this guy and getting around him. Um, and then, you know, there's all, there's a long list of, of things that he missteps along the way. But, you know, the thing you could never overlook is he never made the offense any better. He never developed a quarterback. Yeah. So, and those things, those were the, the real awful signs. Forget what he did with the, the alleged death threats and all that, that, you know, ultimately got him out the door. Um, the, the bottom line, what really, you know, his biggest failure is, is failing to fix the offense. And it's something that, you, you know, you don't think, you just think Dan Mullen is going to, is going to come in and make them better offensively. Yeah. Is he going to get it back to where Tebow, you know, I don't know, but he's certainly going to develop a quarterback and make them better offensively. And I think it'll be uh, almost instantaneous. I think we'll see it early on next season. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, I felt the same thing you did, but I felt it later. And when I wrote the column about McElwain leaving, I said he was like a Nick Saban wannabe, um, uh, you know, uh, a guy who was in a, in a gator costume. And, 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 it, and it started with, you know, even uh, early on with his, the way he handled players, uh, sideline tantrums that we saw, um, the, the issues of uh, – and then he went mute. He didn't say anything to anybody. You never saw him discipline. I was told by somebody who has a close tie to the team that he stopped disciplining people completely. Now, you wonder if that was directly related to the nine suspensions and the credit card thing. I don't know about all that. We don't know those internal workings. We'll never will know them. But there definitely was a change of some kind in Jim McElwain. And let me just present this to you and, 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 and see what you think. When he came back from Montana, he went right to Birmingham in the SEC media days. He had his little huddle with the local media writers, guys. We all went into a side room for 30 minutes, and he tapped dance around a few issues, didn't answer that many questions. And he went through the process of the meat grinder of the SEC championship, or SEC media days, the big room, the little room, the interviews, the one-on-ones. And he winds up at Paul Feinbaum's table at the end. Feinbaum wisely recognizing the guy was absolutely fried at that point. And that was the day, by the way, you remember when he said he didn't know Florida's homecoming opponent was LSU. And you think, how could the head coach not know that? You know. Anyway, so Feinbaum wisely did not address those issues and gave him a break. And he began talking about life in Montana. 
And 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 McElwain waxed on for I don't know ten minutes about the constellations of the stars, how great life was, whatever. And then after it was over, I talked to Paul, and Paul said he did not want to be here. He did not want. So I'm wondering maybe if he start if he got out to Montana and just sort of checked out emotionally and mentally. And when he got here, he didn't seem like he had his battle gear on. He didn't seem he never seemed like he got dug in. I don't know if he got discouraged. I don't know what happened. I know the whole thing with the facilities came up and that was whatever. But something, there was a disconnect someplace along the line, I believe. Mark, what do you think of that? Yeah, I don't think there's any question that he didn't want to be here. And I, I don't know how far back it goes. That's a great example of, of something that I had missed. But it wouldn't shock me if it goes back to, to that. It, it was two rough years when you look at you know, what they – failed to do offensively, you know, the quarterback failures with Treon Harris and, you know, suspending Will Greer and then, you know, all of those things. I mean, it was some pretty hard years for, for McElwain. So it wouldn't surprise me if he, if he didn't want to be here before he even started. And then the suspensions and the injuries start mounting and he checks out. Uh, I know this. I think my belief is, he cracked under the pressure. I yep. think it's a tough job. There's a lot of pressure. Um, you know, you're in the SEC. You get a brutal schedule. You have. You can't beat out. You're getting your teeth kicked in by Alabama. You get your teeth kicked in by Florida State. Uh, you know, you're winning games against mediocre or pedestrian teams. Barely. You know, you needed a hail mary to beat a team that went 0 and 8 in conference play. So, you know, I I think all of that war. And I do. I believe. I sincerely believe. He cracked under the pressure, and I think the alleged death threats was just part of that. Mm. You know that he that uh, any other coach would have handled that and kept that internal or dealt with that internally or dealt with his bosses in a better situation. And I just think he cracked. And you know it's not a job for everybody. Listen, Steve Spurrier left here after you know feeling the heat. Uh, Urban Meyer left here you know feeling the heat and complaining a little bit about about uh, some of the things that went go on in Gainesville. There's a lot of pressure inside, inside that building to win. There's a lot of pressure to win clean, to be clean, to do things the right way. And you're not going to, you know, put failed drug tests in the bottom drawer and ignore them. And you're not, and you got to be able to, you got to suspend guys and you got to be disciplined, all that stuff. And I think there's just a lot of pressure to do it and do it the right way. Uh, or as close to the right way as you can, and uh, it's not for everybody. I do believe that Dan Mullen walks in here with more experience than, than any head coach maybe in school history. I don't know if, if Florida's ever, maybe maybe Doug Dickey because of his yeah, Tennessee type, but I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure since Doug Dickey, Florida's had a head no. uh, any head coach with as much experience. I mean, Spurrier was with the Bandits and certainly you know with the Duke, but I don't know if anybody's had any hardened, SEC experience like Dan Mullen walks in here with nine years worth for sure. So now here we are, and we're you know we can't wait till spring practice starts. Been in the recruiting and the staff stuff and all. We could talk about this for an hour. All the things going on. I think the I think the question I want to do is go go back just a minute and say, and we're not we don't talk to Gator fans every day, although we do. I do a web show and stuff like that, and talk to quite a few of them online. But my sense is is that Gator fans were just absolutely done. And it has to do with a lot of things. It has to do with the prices of what they're paying up there. It has to do with the fact that they haven't had a, a championship team in a long time. It has to do with the, that the offense stinks. 
It has to do that the the guy you called a used car salesman wasn't terribly good about reaching out to the fan base. You know, he didn't like going out, it seems like. And I, I was he came to Ocala once, and he, quite frankly, was embarrassing how he treated the people here. Um, and so it wasn't exactly goodwill. There were so many things there at this point, and just in general, fed up. It's been a long time, as I like to say, between drinks and water. How much do you think Dan Mullen will make in terms of the difference in that attitude and the attitude that has prevailed for the last at least seven or eight years? I think it'll be night and day. And, you know, we talked about Chip Kelly. I don't think Chip Kelly would have bridged that gap. There's clearly a divide between the head coach and the fan base. Um, and it's and it's happened primarily because of the offense. And, it, you know, Will Muschamp certainly did his part to reach out to him. But certainly Jim McElwain w- went a completely 180, didn't want to do any of them, reduced the number of Gator clubs and booster functions that he went to. Didn't want to reach out to those people, um, you know, and so there, this huge divide, this chasm grew and grew and grew every year between the head coach and, and the fan base. And I don't, I think Chip Kelly would have put a wedge in there and made it even wider. You know, you might've been able to repair a little bit of it if the offense is good and you play for championships, but in terms of being the guy on the street, the, you know, basically what Spurrier is today and was back in 1990 and was back in 66 and 67. I mean, you know, that's, you know, that's what you need. That's what they want. And you got to have that, especially when you're in a position right now where Florida's got to raise a ton of money. They need to raise, you know, they're trying to raise 50 million of a hundred million dollar project. You're going to bond the other 50 and you don't do that by, you know, sticking your head in the sand in your office in Gainesville and not reaching out to these people and not, making them feel part of the program. And I think Dan Mullen uh, feels like he's part of this program. He's been part of this program. He knows what's going on, knows how to raise money, knows how to get things done, knows that him and his wife are going to be out in the community mingling. Uh, and and that is going to make all the difference. And I really do believe they're going to uh, narrow that gap almost instantly over the next six to eight months. Interesting stuff, Mark Long. Mark, we could go on this for the next 30 minutes. I want to get to Megan um, Mullen, though. I thought she yeah. came off really good. Um, and, and, and the story, as I see it, and maybe you have a little different version, It was, I think it was an SB Nation story, as I recall. And it was about coaches, wives, and families feeling pressure. And the story that came out, the part that we focused on, was her saying that, that sometimes it got to be so, I'm paraphrasing, so negative out there for coaches' families that she and Dan would go to Publix in Orlando instead of going to Gainesville or wherever they went. I don't know, maybe it was someplace else. But the bottom line is is that it sounded like she was dodging people in Gainesville. There's a couple of missing things in there. Number one, she worked in Orlando. I mean, she, right. she, she worked in Orlando and, and she at the golf channel. So, you know, and secondly, Dan didn't, as he pointed out, doesn't go, uh, go uh, um, grocery shopping that often. Didn't like they said, let's go to Orlando this week and shop for groceries, you know? So that kind of got misplayed. But I thought the telling comment was, and she is going to be a big piece of this puzzle because you can see her sparkle and the two children as well, is that is whenever Dan Mullen said, we wouldn't be here if Megan hadn't helped us, hadn't chosen Florida. That's how strong right. it was. So comment on that. Comment on the thing about the misperception we see as her being portrayed as a villain and how that all came out. 
Yeah, we talked to Megan, a couple of us afterwards, and uh, she did. She said, listen, it was totally taken out of context. She was probably exaggerating a little bit in terms of, you know, this is how difficult it is. You know, you want to go somewhere else to shop. And the reality is she did shop in Orlando, but that was because she was working down there, making that trip to the Golf Channel uh, on a regular basis. Uh, you know, so I, I do think that that was totally blown out of proportion. It, clearly, when you look at there was no hesitation when you look at the way this thing unfolded, there was no hesitation on Florida's part because of Megan's comment, and there was zero hesitation on Dan and Megan's part to come back. You know, despite those comments, so uh, I think it was totally overblown, probably taken out of context. She might have been exaggerating a little bit, which is what she says. I do believe her, and you're you're dead on accurate that. She's going to be a huge part of this thing. Uh, and, and this is what I'll say. Jim McElwain's wife, Karen, we met her on the day he took the job. She never interacted with us once ever again in terms of media. You never saw her at practice. You never saw her around campus. She just was She was just, just the first lady in hiding is what she was. And it just it doesn't – and I'm not saying she has the, the – you know, the – coach's wife has to be you know Jackie Onassis Kennedy you know I don't but I think she needs to be present she needs to be out there she needs to be doing things in the community and be a part of this thing make it look fun make it look like you guys are all in and uh and we just never got the feel that feel with her that that she really uh cared that much to be all in you know she was at games and she was wearing her orange and blue and I'm sure she was you know, maybe doing things in the coach's wide circle. But in terms of being uh, a real face of the program, it was it was absolutely not there. And I think we're going to see a complete 180. I think we're going to see Megan uh, much more like Jerry Spurrier, where, you know, she's out and about. Or even, even Urban's, Urban's wife, Shelly Meyer, was, was, was very much involved and in the public eye. And she's, you know, handling – she's teaching spin classes – on campus. So I think we're going to see Megan be much more involved and available and whatnot. And, you know, she came up, talked to a bunch of us that she remembered from nine years ago, high-fiving. It was just, it was just a different environment than what we've seen recently, even with Will Muschamp's wife. She was very much behind the scenes and, and laying low and certainly McElwain the same. So I think we're going to see a, a lot more engagement on that front. Yeah, and, and it'll pay dividends. Oh, it'll it will, pay dividends. It will. In fact, if you remember, the dance said when I go to speak somewhere, uh, and then and, and then Shelly, I mean, and then uh, Megan goes. People and are going to want to hear from. They Megan, say, huh? yeah, send Megan back. Don't bother coming. So I yeah. went right over and sat next to her. As you know, I said, "Well, yeah. I'm Buddy Martin I, from the Ocala Quarterback Club. I'm extending you an offer to come speak." She says, "I accept." So she's right there on the spot. So she was not messing around. I wanted to point out, uh, you, you mentioned Karen. It's funny. I was talking to somebody else that covers the team, and we were trying to remember her name. Literally trying to remember her name. That's how low profile she was. I Listen, she's probably a really nice lady, and that was her choice, and that's fine. But you're right. It's such a, team, such a big team thing. And Jerry Spurrier was like, she's like the paradigm. You know, speaking of first ladies of football, Opal Graves died this week. She was Jerry modeled her oh, after gosh. her. Ray Graves' wife, also a great lady. 
But uh, I think yeah. it's so important. It brings so much more to have that family atmosphere and someone who's a partner and someone has an equal share. So one last thing about Karen, and then we'll say goodbye to Mark Long of the AP, his wonderful storyteller, and does a terrific job of covering this team and gives it to us like we, maybe we don't want to hear it, but it's the way it is. And uh, in, in, in the, the fact is a, a good source and friend told me that the reason Florida waited to settle the McElwain buyout, as you know, 7.5, as you reported, of the 15, I believe it was, uh, is that when they left town, this person was a friend of Karen and the family, and this person reported that Karen says, we're not settling, period. We're not settling. <laughs> so you notice they kind of went on radio silence about that, and suddenly, when the whenever it, Mullins buyout was 500000 whatever, and, and Scott uh, Strickland was able to count the money and see what he had. He was able to go back and say, okay, let's just do seven and a half and call the day without lawsuits. And I guess they said, okay. So I guess they were tra- dug in ready to have a fight about that whole buyout in terms of, of, of Karen McElwain. I, I don't doubt that at all. I know, you know, I had heard the agent was the same, was like, listen, you know, you didn't fire us with cause. You didn't fire Jim with cause. So you need, you know, we can fight this thing and and feel pretty good about it. Uh, Florida obviously, you know, didn't want to, you know, they had some leverage, didn't want to pay the full 12.9 and settled somewhere in the middle. I think, you know, Florida got out pretty good on this. And I think Jim McElwain got out great because I do believe they had, they had reason under the Cleary Act to, to fire him with cause and could have probably justified this thing in the court. Nobody wanted this thing played out in court. Uh, you know, and Jim McElwain needed to settle it. And I think cooler heads prevailed here. He needed to sell it because for two reasons, but primarily because it's a nice payday. But the second, the bigger one is you don't, you can't have this being played out in court if you're trying to go get another job and he's going to go try to get another head coaching job or uh, offensive coordinator job and you just don't do that you're not going to be able to do that if you're still fighting with florida over your buyout uh nobody wants that distraction on their football program so for him to settle it uh they got the non-disclosure agreement where they can't talk trash about each other or write anything negative about each other that helps him to go get another job because now Scott Strickland can't say anything publicly or even privately about uh, about the what Jim McElwain didn't do at Florida or failed to do at Florida or whatever. So all that helps Jim McElwain. So he needed this thing to get settled, uh, and you know he he you know to me he still walked away as a huge winner here in terms of, of financially. Great stuff, Mark Long, Associate Press. Thanks so much, Mark, for being on the Buddy Martin Show. Anytime, buddy. Thank you.